Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Hey, welcome into this week's episode of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball, where uh, sometimes you need to hit the record button in order to get uh, each episode put together. Seems like a smart plan. My name is Tyler Ron Samuel. Pete Dykstra is in New York City. Hi, Sam. Hi. Yeah, it's. Uh, I wouldn't even say sometimes it's a good idea to hit record. Yeah. It's always a good idea. Probably always a good idea. That's true. That's a smart thing. Um, before we get rolling on this week's episode of the show, before we have a jam-packed edition of the show before the show, but I have a special guest that I need to bring in literally into the room uh, to say hello to you. I don't even know if he's listening. Jason Schwartz, the radio voice of the Lake Elsinore <laughs> Storm, who's staying in my guest room this week. Hey, there he is. <laughs> He's coming. You don't, you don't even know if I'm listening. How could I possibly not? <laughs> <laughs> I do not. I do not have a, a, a large house. How long have you been waiting for this intro, Jason? Like, have you just been hanging out outside the door for? Actually, I didn't time? know it was coming. I just I, I heard it and I was like, oh, I guess this is when I should be coming in the room. So, great <laughs> man of show business. Yeah, thing I didn't you know when to make an entrance. I told him like a half hour ago. I was like, by the way, I'm just gonna bring you in the uh, in the intro to the show. But yeah, the uh, the radio voice of the Lake Elsinore Storm, the uh, the now low mm-hmm. West affiliate of the San Diego Padres is here. Uh, we summited two 14,000 foot mountains today in uh, in the state of Colorado. It snowed on us. It is August 19th, and we got snowed on today. It was. Uh, how are you feeling right now? I'm. I feel great. Well, I feel good. like I need a shower. Yeah, but I feel great. Otherwise, I just did. Um, also, I'm in the I'm in the famous room with the hat. I know, on. right? Yeah, you. I get mean, what a, what, a, what, a, what a sight to see in person. <laughs> I, I've seen it in pictures, and it is just pictures don't do it justice. It is magnificent. <laughs> it is almost as magnificent as a 14er in Colorado. <laughs> Sam hasn't seen it in person yet. Sam hasn't visited at this place where I live yet, but no. it'll happen. I mean, you had all those hats. I did have all the hats. They were just, uh, they were in the basement at my old place. Definitely one of the top five reasons to visit Denver, I'd say. Yeah, that's what, uh, I write to the Chamber of Commerce and I'm like, if you guys want to put this in like travel brochures for the city. Is there anything we can do to get a museum designation? Right, right, right. You have to fill out. You know, it's, uh, I think it's a pilgrimage site. I like to think of it for a lot of people, including Jason. I mean, it it got Jason from California. Exactly. One One pilgrim. 
It's great. Absolutely. Uh, tell us about the uh, the season so far in, you know, being back in a minor league booth and getting a chance to be, you know, part of a, a real season. We're I'm not going to get a chair we're not gonna... here. Like, what, what's, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm literally gonna, like lean over your shoulder for this. I'm sitting in front of the mic. He's just standing behind me, and I'm like, "They're talking to my kind of, microphone." What kind of what kind of treatment is this for a, for a special guest? You can take that, you can take my old dead printer off uh, of that stool. I mean, the season's been yeah, the season's been great. Like just just being back is awesome. Uh, you know, everyone's just happy to be back playing baseball. Happy to have fans back in, in the ballparks. Happy to have you know former what they were once California League parks, now Loa West parks. But uh, you know, we're just. Glad to be back. And, you know, things uh, have been as close to normal as I think we, we could have hoped for. And uh, it's kind of crazy that we're already at what? August? What was yeah. today? 20th? No, what are we? 19th? 19th? August 19th. 19th. Yeah. And, you know, the season's coming to a close. Although I guess the season's extended a little bit. We still have a month to go. But um, yeah, ordinarily we'd be like two and a half yeah. weeks out now. But it is wild how fast it's moved. Um, but yeah, it's just great to be calling baseball again. Great to be watching baseball again at the diamond, which looks as beautiful as ever. And, uh, you know, no complaints there. I will say he is a very good advocate for the diamond. I very much want to go see the diamond now. Well, there we go. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's reverse tourism now. Right. Exactly. Your place. He's, he's, uh, he's talking me into my trip out there, my return trip out there. Hey, I'd be talking you guys into visiting the hangar. If that was a possibility, unfortunately it, it, it no longer is, uh, Jason also pointed out that I never got a Lancaster Jethawks hat and uh, a yeah. team that, that does not exist anymore. And now he was looking at the wall and he was like, where's your Jethawks hat? I was like, uh, <laughs> that's the happened. one in storage. I became really good friends with a radio guy and he didn't send me one. No. Um, how does it feel by the way, just before we let you go, Jason's going to meet a buddy for a beer tonight. Um, how does it feel to be the first and probably only let's be honest, um, surprise guest on this podcast. That's a, that's a big designation. You can put it, I would say like probably first on your resume, like above all of your other work, but how does it feel? I'm putting it on my Twitter bio as soon as, <laughs> there we go. as, soon as I'm done with this. Uh, Which is re- the real resume these days. Really. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I think it feels, um, it feels pretty good. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. You know, like, I mean, maybe if, Maybe if I'd been able to prepare for this, you could actually said, Hey, come in in five minutes. I'm going to find I was in the other room and it's just like, you're shouting and Oh, Hey, here's Jason. He's no, oh, okay. Like good thing I'm available. So you know, I'd say like, I'd say it's like a, it's like a seven out of 10. It'd be, it'd be an eight with a chair. As anybody who's ever listened to this show knows I'm tremendously professional. That's all, that's all anybody knows about this show is like, Oh boy, that professional host, as you can see, uh, you know, my hair is well kempt today. I'm just yelling at people in my house to come on this show. It's yeah, it's great. You know, I'm a long time time listener, long time listener, big fan of the show. So it's uh, it's an honor to be here. What a guy to be here. What a guy. Well, Jason, before you go, I want to ask you one. I'll tee this one up for you, though. Okay. Okay. Because we are about to talk. I'm not very good at golf, but (laughs) (laughs) is Robert Hassel the third the real deal? You've been able to see him all summer. Uh, I think from what we've seen, absolutely. Um, you know, Tyler and I got the chance to see him in Korea back in 2019 when he was playing yeah. for Team USA in the U18 World Cup. And uh, he looked like the real deal then. And, uh, you know, when I saw the Padres drafted him and then I knew I was going to like Elsinore, I mean, I was really excited to watch him play every day. And, uh, you know, he's he just turned 20. And he's just been a, a joy to watch for sure. And uh, both at the plate, and in the outfield, 
He looks really comfortable. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, universally there's, everyone's got praise for him and, uh, and his family's really nice too. They visited a couple of times, been a joy to get to know them as well. So, uh, I I'm definitely, uh, in the, in the fan club and, and pulling for him. And I, I think he's definitely going to, going to be the real deal for sure. There you have it. We have actual expertise on the show <laughs> today. Well, I mean, we usually do just except for me. Uh, Jason Schwartz, everybody. He, Robert Hassel would have gotten a chair here. <laughs> Former USA Baseball representative Robert Hassel. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Austin Powers exit. You just did the fake elevator drop out of the there shot. Uh, we really need to do... See you, buddy. We really need to do uh, more video elements of this show. Um, How does your shower work? (laughs) (laughs) I have returned from showing Jason how the shower works. And uh, we, uh, on that note, have a perfect segue into our first strike of this week's edition of Three Strikes of the Show Before the Show. Uh, Before we dive into that, uh, thanks for tuning in wherever you found us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Spotify and Stitcher and everywhere else. Get in touch with the show podcast at MILB.com. Um, we're so lonely, only getting offerings for pizza ovens and other various heavy equipment from um, merchants overseas. Um, so please send us your uh, your questions and your thoughts on uh, the prospect world and minor league baseball, etc. And um, with that, We open this week's episode with three strikes. We're going to hear from Benjamin Hill here in a little bit. Uh, While Jason and I were out trudging through the mountains today, you and Ben got a chance to record an interview, and uh, and we'll toss to you guys coming up next. But we have a massive topic du jour today. That means of the day. And that is strike one, the new top 100 and all new midseason re-ranked prospect top 30 lists in every organization across baseball. Uh, all of it is live right now. And of course, the top 100 is where we dive in on this week's episode of the show before the show as uh, probably no surprise who the new top prospect in all of baseball is. It's Adley Rutschman of the Baltimore Orioles, who of course moved into that spot uh, when Wander Franco graduated. Julio Rodriguez, number two, the Seattle Mariners outfield prospect, followed by Bobby Witt Jr. of the Kansas City Royals, the shortstop. Then it's Spencer Torkelson, the corner infielder from the Detroit Tigers, who I talked to for a story just a few days ago. Uh, Marco Luciano, the shortstop from the San Francisco Giants, is number five. C.J. Abrams, the Padres shortstop, is number six. Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson's uh, Detroit Tigers teammate at AAA Toledo. The outfielder, Riley Green, is number seven. Grayson Rodriguez, the right-handed pitcher in the Orioles organization, is number eight. Keep that in mind, along with Adley Rutschman. We're going to talk about that. Marcelo Mayer, the top pick in the draft uh, for the Boston Red Sox this year, is number nine. He was the top-rated talent in the draft coming in, uh, according to MLB Pipeline. And Francisco Alvarez makes a pretty substantial jump. He is now number 10, the catching prospect in the New York Mets organization. Um, Sam you had such a massive hand in putting the new top 100 and new organizational top 30s together. Uh, give us the lowdown. Tell us the the biggest thoughts that you have on this new top 100. Yeah, I mean, we might as well start there at the top, huh? Like with Adley Rutschman being number one. I do think this is one of those years in which there isn't really a clear number one. I know we have him one. I know other sites have him number one. So it it is. it seems like it's a consensus, but I really do think there is a debate especially amongst the top three names there. You could even throw in Spencer Torkelson. Spencer Torkelson, somebody we gave a 65 overall grade to. So those guys are kind of on their own tier, uh, those top four. But I think any either of the top three, really, you could talk about as the number one overall prospect in baseball. We landed on Adley Rutschman just because I do think, personally, 
he is going to be a franchise catcher. Um, he's going to be a multi all-star catcher. He's going to be, you know, a big part of whatever contender comes to Baltimore in the next number, number of years. He's going to be at the center of that, not only as a catcher who can play the position defensively, uh, he can throw, he can catch, he can frame, he can work with pitchers really well, talk to anybody who works with them. They all love it. Uh, but he can also hit. If he was a first baseman, which he worked out a little bit at first base this year in his first full season, uh, if he was just a first baseman, we would say he was a really good first baseman. But the fact that he's also a really good catcher makes him a premium talent, makes him the number one overall prospect in baseball because it is really difficult to do both at catcher. It is really difficult to be an offensive catcher who can also play the position defensively. I understand there is some debate. We we don't know if you know the automatic balls and strikes are someday – going to come to major league baseball. And that kind of will limit Adley Rutschman's uh, value because he is somebody who frames well. He is somebody who catches well. Uh, he would still have his arm that would still work defensively behind the plate, but um, that would dull his value. I understand that, but it's not here yet. And we don't know when it's coming. And we, we don't know if it's three years down the line, five years down the line, 10 years down the line, who knows? Um, so until it is, we're not going to factor that into our decisions. Adley Rutschman, number one overall, but Julio Rodriguez having, I would say probably the summer of his life at this point, meddling in the Olympics, um, being a big piece of that Dominican Republic team. Uh, one thing I noted is he was right in the heart of that lineup throughout. Um, they were getting him playing time. This was not just, hey, here's a kid we're bringing along and putting next to Jose Batista. He was as big a piece Atten of that third roster as for anybody basically else. every game. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Um, so that, that was really special stuff. And again, we're, we're seeing those results this year, starting out at high A Everett, moving on to double A Arkansas, where he is now back. Um, he's hit everywhere he's played. He is going to be probably a right fielder in time, but he can play a little bit of center. He can certainly throw it from right field. Takes a lot of the boxes. He's not quite as speedy as some, some of these other outfielders, but man, can he hit? We think he's about as sure a thing to hit from the right side as you're going to find in baseball. That's why he's number two, Bobby Wood jr. The, the margin between Rodriguez and Witt Jr. I think is super, super thin. And then it's it's fairly thin between Rutschman and those two, but I think two, three, you, you can't go wrong either way, really. Bobby Witt Jr. was the first 2020 player in the minor leagues this year. Uh, there were some questions about his hit tool coming into the year, and I, I certainly understand that. He does strike out a little bit more than you may like, but he's still hitting 291 between AA and AAA, doing all of this – and technically his age 21 season, but he only turned 21 back in June. Um, playing a, a really good shortstop, they're getting him some looks at third base too because they're not sure you know, how he's going to fit into the major league picture, but they want his bat in there, and they also want his infield arm in there. 60s across the board uh, for Bobby Witt Jr. You could even put a 65 on his power if you want. You may have to take the hit down a little bit, um, but it just plus tools really across the board. It, we could do this all day. I mean, in, in many ways, we were sending this out to folks for feedback, trying to see w what the thoughts were. And you get pulled in all different directions. Uh, we'll see how things end up in time. But as things stand right now, we feel pretty comfortable. Adley Rutschman, one. Julio Rodriguez, two. Bobby Witt, Jr., three. All three have very special futures. It's it's not a knock to say Bobby Witt Jr. is the number three overall prospect in baseball right now. We think he's going to be a potential generational talent at shortstop as well. And then you go through that the rest of that 10. Uh, just to highlight again, Marcelo Mayer making the, the top 10 for the first time um, now becomes the top Red Sox prospect. He is the top prospect taken in this year's draft. Uh, 
the MLB pipeline folks, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, they work super hard on the draft stuff. They had him as their number one prospect going into the draft. Um, coming out of it, we all still believed he was potentially the best offensive player and the best defensive player uh, in this draft. He's still only 18 years old. The Boston Red Sox added him with the fourth overall pick. Uh, they were elated to do so, I can tell you that. Um, but somebody who has all the tools there, we'll see how it's going to shake out. I can understand maybe some other places being hesitant on him. You want to see him bring it to pro ball first. But again, all the all the pieces are there for him to be special on both sides of the ball. And a guy I've been talking about on this show multiple times, so I won't go too deep into it. But Francisco Alvarez becoming the number two catching prospect in baseball rising to that number 10 level. He's been 19 all year. They couldn't keep him in low A for very long. He's been very, very good at high A. Uh, I implore anybody to go check out his high A splits. If you're thinking, oh, his numbers aren't as great at Brooklyn as I thought they were, it's really difficult to hit in Coney Island uh, with the wind coming off the beach and the right field there is, is pretty massive. His splits on the road in high A would make you think, why is he not in double A yet? And I wouldn't be surprised if that's going to come at some point for him at just 19 years old. He is an offensive force still coming along defensively. I think he can be average to above average there. Eventually Uh, he certainly has the arm for the position, but the fact that he's hit like he has, again, he's kind of in that Adley Rutschman boat of if he was playing another position, we would say, look at how special an offensive talent he is. And he only gets elevated because he is a catcher. He's probably going to stick there. And usually catchers aren't this good at hitting. Um, so really special to see him jump into that number 10. He, Noel V. Marte at number 11. Real he quick. was the guy, just real quick, Francisco Alvarez yeah. at the Futures game blew me away. Watching his batting right. practice, watching his approach, everything about him, he he was one of those guys who you look at and think, oh, he's got it. Like, he definitely seems to be a guy who is on the fast track. And obviously, the numbers and the performance and all that suggest that. But there is a presence about him where you can tell, oh, that dude, he's going to be in Queens before too long. And it's not like a cocky presence of just like no, he knows not at all. he's all he just, that in a bag of chips. Right. It's just like he really does have the tools. Like his batting practice, like you said, if you get a chance to go see him in Brooklyn, do so. If you get a chance to check out his highlights or watch an MILB TV game, the bat speed's going to scream off the screen. Yeah, like it's, he is it's just incredible. a very impressive, very well-rounded prospect. Right. Um, and I, I was only, only going to bring up uh, number 11, Noel Marte, just to point out he was our biggest jumper. Uh, in the top 100, so he slides up to number 11. I think he he is kind of like right there with Julio Rodriguez. He, he's a half step down, but the fact that the Mariners just graduated Jared Kelnick and we thought, okay, what does this mean for their system? And Marte's just been a pop-up prospect in 2021. Uh, has been really, really special. So uh, check out the rest of the list. It's all live now. All the, the team lists are also live. All positional rankings are live. A lot of work goes into this. Please believe me when I say that this is not just a bunch of people throwing darts at a board. Um, you know, we're looking at these guys all year long. We're talking to lots of people about who's impressed, who hasn't, who's um, you know t- taken leaps, who's not developing in ways we would have expected. Um, it's a, in many ways an always evolving list, but for this to now be live and for you folks to see it is an exciting time. And there's lots to dig into here. All right, so strike two for this week uh, is a branch off of the top 100 tree, and it is something that Baltimore Orioles fans uh, sorely need and maybe are also like kind of sick of hearing about um, because the Orioles right now 
are on a 15 game losing streak. Uh, all of those games by two or more runs, which is the longest such streak in Major League Baseball since 1900. We're not here to talk about that. What we are here to talk about is the Orioles now have the top-ranked position player prospect and the top-ranked pitching prospect in baseball and catcher Adley Rutschman and right-handed pitcher Grayson Rodriguez, who is number nine overall. Um, what does that say about where the Orioles are right now? And uh, is it enough? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the obvious answer is time will tell, right? Like, in, is it enough? We don't know. Uh, the last time this has happened in which an organization has had the top position player prospect and the top pitching prospect was the Chicago White Sox when they had Yohan Moncada and Michael Kopech. Uh, that was at the middle of the 2017 season. Some of you at home might be also remembering that both of those guys were Red Sox prospects before they were White Sox prospects, but they had developed enough in the White Sox system to become the top at both of those fields look where they are now. How do you want to look at that? The white Sox are, are certainly contending that, that they are pieces of that puzzle. Um, Kopech is a reliever right now. And that that's, there's myriad reasons for that, but it's just a good reminder of even if somebody is the top pitching prospect in baseball, they are not a sure thing. And Mankata hasn't been necessarily a superstar, but he's been a solid contributor to that team uh, that again is, is now pretty secure in leading the AL central going to the playoffs, definite world series contenders this year. So is it enough to have these two guys? Absolutely not. You need, you need to build around them. You need to have other pieces. The, the Orioles do, they have a relatively deep system behind them. Uh, you know, those big names are DL hall, another top 100 prospect Gunnar Henderson, who I've heard some like Corey Seager comps in the past. I'm not a huge comp guy, but somebody who can certainly hit from power He's playing both shortstop and third base this year. Uh, bats from the left side, that helps. They drafted Colton Kowser with their first-round picks this year at fifth overall. He's a plus hitter from the left side, too. Jordan Westberg, um, I know there was some discussion about maybe him sneaking into the top 100. Maybe he could. He's played at multiple levels this year and hit everywhere. Uh, it is a deep system, but that's what you need. You need a deep system. I don't think this is necessarily like the pinnacle of what a rebuilding system should be or could be. And just having Rutschman and Rodriguez isn't enough to answer your question directly, Tyler. Uh, but it is a good start and it is a good place to be. Uh, it's just now the, they need to get these guys majorly ready. I think Rutschman's not far. I, we talked last week about him getting called up to AAA for the first time. I thought that should have happened a while ago. The way he's taken the AAA points to somebody who should have been doing this for a while now. Uh, in a perfect world, I think he would get a look at Baltimore in September. I don't think that's going to happen. But I think Rutschman, Rodriguez, Hall, all those guys are in place for 2022 debuts at the latest. Um, and then you're talking about Baltimore being a much more secure place. So it's not it's not perfect. I'm not going to say it's perfect. But if you're an Orioles fan, there is some, some silver linings here. There is you know some light over that horizon. And hopefully you can see it here where Rutschman and Rodriguez are placed. And strike three this week, we have a, a new development for 2022 across minor league baseball, which is the release of the AAA schedule. I was talking with uh, some AAA folks uh, in the last couple of weeks and said, you know, by everything they had heard, it seemed like it would be largely the same format in terms of the six game series with the one off day, et cetera, et cetera. And that basically is uh, what we have uh, been able to confirm with the release of the new schedule. Now, one thing that is different is that in 2022, we are anticipating a return to interdivisional play. 
play. 2021, uh, obviously, there's been essentially geographically um, structured play where teams are not playing outside of their own divisions uh, to keep travel down and do all of that in the pandemic. Uh, but 2022 seems like more of a return to normalcy. Tell us about what the 2022 schedule means uh, as we sit right now in the middle of August. Yeah, so this is only AAA. AAA teams are the only ones to announce so far, so we can't tell you what things are going to look at low A, high A, et cetera. Um, but it is notable that AAA came out. It is 144 games, uh, at least according to the Reno Aces that I'm looking at here. Uh, but they start in April. That is a huge deal. You know, this year we, we started in May. So you can expect April AAA baseball next year as things stand right now. Like everything else in 2020 and 2021, I'm saying this with cross fingers and knocking wood as I say it, but things are slated to begin on April 5th uh, at AAA. Six-game series, like you said, Tyler. One thing that jumped out to me in looking at this schedule, uh, Monday nights have basically been like AAA West night in America, I think, yeah. is what all the broadcasters that is, have called That is it. the uh, that is the joke across AAA West, which I did not realize uh, or did not learn until I was in Albuquerque a couple of weeks ago. AAA West night yeah. in America. Yeah, I think I told Mike Curdo of the uh, Tacoma Rainiers that I'm like, you need to trademark that. And then I saw everybody else using it. And I was like, oh, never mind. They, sh- they should have printed out shirts. I'm just saying. They really should have. It's pretty good. Triple A West logos on there. Um, but that's not that's not happening next year. So they will actually have Mondays off as well. It will basically be a night off for the entire minor leagues at, at every level in every league. I think that'll be good for the sport. I think everybody taking a night off is going to be good. Uh, it sounds like it's it's come to strong reviews basically across the board. Everybody's a little bit more rejuvenated when you know exactly when the off day is going to be each week. It's so much easier to plan things. Um, Six-game schedules, I think, are still a little up in the air. People are still getting a little used to that, but uh, it's it, it's returning for 2022, so we'll get another look at that one uh, for sure. Um, but, yeah, anything else about this stand out to you, Tyler, about how things are looking? We should also – I also want to throw out there that it's going to last – According to the Reno Aces, their last game is September 21st. So we're going early April all the way into deep September, yeah. which is also a longer season, but that's because of all the off days. Right. And that um, it really just feels like it fills out the calendar, you know, um, cramming as, as many games as we're in the old schedule in with only, you know, a handful of off days outside of the, the all-star breaks across leagues um, was it was tremendously challenging for players, for player development, people for front office staff workers, all of that. It really does seem like, the, the one-off night a week has been very well received by all parties. Um, and I think it's, I think it's smart. I think it's great. Um, you know, Mondays for next year are going to be weird that we won't have any minor league baseball as it seems on Mondays. Um, I would like to know the last, you know, normal season in which there was a scheduled day in which no league was playing anywhere. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I think the, the structure of there's a giant spider just walking on a web outside my window right now. And it's fascinating. Uh, I know he's dropping down outside the window. He's tired of my triple a West analysis. Um, (laughs) I I just think it's um, it's a very logical step forward uh, for the game and for player health and safety and for, for travel arrangements and all of that. I will be interested to see, um, you know, with triple a West, there were a lot of things that went into, uh, you know, that league is so far flung. It's much less so now than it used to be when it was the Pacific coast league, but you know, travel, that's a lot of Southwest airlines flights and all that type of stuff, uh, which I know was uh, one of the reasons that Wednesday was such an attractive off day for uh, the triple a West level or league 
league, I should say, is because it's kind of cheap to fly Southwest on Saturdays or on Wednesdays, rather. So having, um, you know, series that end on a Sunday as a traditional series would have and then having Monday off um, things, I guess, just get a little different in how you uh, you structure your travel and your scheduling and, um, you know, when your team is going to be moving on to a, a new city for a, a road trip or leaving a homestand or whatever it is. Um, but I think it'll be it'll be very cool to see a season with a schedule that the the new look of minor league baseball kind of intended to have because this year it didn't really go that way. Um, so that's one thing that I think will be a, a positive for next year. Yeah, I mean, just talking about April baseball. I yeah, mean, yeah, that is deal. nice. There's one thing about it, April baseball is it is one of the coldest months of, of the schedule every year. Yeah, I was gonna say April baseball sounds great unless you're in like Rochester or Buffalo, right? Yeah, Which or is why like they start half of the other states. <laughs> Their opening days are the earliest on the calendar every year. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just nice to have something laid out that, like you said, basically feels like the blueprint moving forward. It. There's been so many moving targets, so many things to keep track of. Is like, is this going to stay? Is this going to stay? What's it going to look like? Um, to have something that feels like, okay, this is what it's going to be like for years to come, not just next year because of COVID or anything else that's going on with the game. This this feel not set in stone. I don't want to say, but much more like it's here to stay. And I think that there is a level of comfort to that. And that is three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show the spider is back now um <laughs> Sam, please tell us about what's coming up between you and ben hill yeah so uh this next segment is going to be ben and i just chatting about uh like everything else we've done lately with ben which is always great we get to talk a little bit about his trips including his one to chattanooga a little while ago in which he talked to the longtime broadcaster of the chattanooga lookouts and also he went back to my ancestral homeland Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, he was there just last week at Polar Park for three games. I thought you were going to say Ireland, and I was going to be very surprised. I know. Where, I, where, did, where did Ben get a baseball story in Ireland? I guess I mean, baseball longer... Ireland is, is a talented uh, program in, in Europe. I don't want to get from, <laughs> from the baseball Ireland folks. Yeah, the longer I, I, I'm from, or I, the longer I'm away from Massachusetts, I guess the more it feels like the ancestral An homeland. ancestral homeland. Yeah. <laughs> Psychologists can have a field day with that one, I guess, I suppose. But anyway, Ben went back to Worcester. We talked a lot about Worcester. Our interview this week is about Worcester and what it's like to set up a new food situation in a new brand new ballpark. Um, so yeah, first up, here's me and Ben. Hey, minor league baseball fans, show up to school in style this fall. Get 20% off select youth apparel with code BTS2021 on MILBstore.com through August 22nd. Again, that's code BTS2021 to get 20% off select youth apparel for all your back-to-school needs. MILB Store, we have your fun in store. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Live or I guess recorded from the Frank Robinson room, which is quickly becoming the 
home of the minor league baseball podcast, the show before the show. I feel like we've done many recordings now in the Frank Robinson room, um, which is pretty neat. I'm glad to call this one home of all the rooms we could in the, here in the MLB HQ. Uh, but I'm joined here by Ben Hill, who's back from the road from Worcester. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But Ben, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The Frank Robinson room is a quite a classy place to do the podcast. I mean, in addition to Frank Robinson himself being a very classy individual and we have a big uh, artwork silhouette uh, paste on the glass behind us of uh, Frank Robinson himself. And as we look straight ahead, we have the iconic marquee of the Radio City Music Hall. So if you can picture the Radio City Music Hall signage, then picture you're just standing in front of Radio City Music Hall, gazing upwards across the street. And you just envision seeing us in the window doing this iconic podcast. I mean, one day we should try to sneak in, really, is what is what we're saying. We should try to sneak into Radio City, maybe one of those times when Tyler Mon is actually here with us. Uh, and we can say we did it live from Radio City. We should definitely do that. And, and across the street is, you know, the studio where Jimmy Fallon does his show. We should go in there and we should be on Jimmy Fallon's show. <laughs> you laugh, but I'm serious. I mean, who would be better to be on Jimmy Fallon? than us talking about minor league baseball i'm tired of celebrities and dumb games and uh snarky commentary let's talk about minor league baseball on national television we need more i think tyler might have an issue with that with jimmy fallon which gets into a whole late night wars uh discussion which we don't need to get into right here but uh for anybody listening uh just to be clear we would not break into radio city we would just like sneak in back through an open door or something it would be completely legal so this this can't be used in a court of law Anyways, uh, Ben, we're here, to, as always, to talk about some of your recent stories uh, for MILB.com. And you had a recent one uh, about the voice of the Chattanooga Lookouts, Larry Ward, who has been there for quite a while now, since 1989. He served as the voice of the Chattanooga Lookouts, longest tenured broadcaster in AA baseball. You got to visit Chattanooga during your, during your swing through the South. Um, what stood out to you about your conversation with Larry Ward? Yeah, AT&T Field, uh, home of the Chattanooga Lookouts, was the first ballpark I visited on my first road trip of the year last month. And, uh, you know, as I like to do, I kind of have stories that I can stash away and uh, circle back to them later. And so I I did that this week with the story on Larry Ward. Um, You know, Chattanooga was a great place for me to start uh, my 2021 travels after an absence because I get to the ballpark and very soon I'm talking to Wanda, the program lady, who is just so well-known and so beloved, um, a woman who sells programs for decades and just people love to see her at the front entrance. And then right from that, I go up to the broadcast booth and talk to one of the longest tenured uh, broadcasters in all of minor league baseball, Larry Ward, uh, who did work for the uh, lookouts uh, for a season in 1985, then came back as it turned out for good in 1989. So it's just interesting to talk to someone who is such a veteran of minor league baseball. Holy Toledo, they're mobbing Wilson Garcia. Oh, oh my. They've got a bucket of water. He's going to get a bath. You better believe it. And there it goes, Garcia. Out of the stretch in the 3-2, and Tenerowitz swings and drives it high. He drives it deep. He drives it back, and goodbye, baseball. He'll take it into right field. That ball is going, and goodbye, baseball again. Holy Toledo back-to-backers. 5-2 to two lookouts. 
obviously minor league baseball broadcasters, uh, you know, they have career paths in a broad sense, you know, similar to the players, you know, high odds to get to the, the highest level, uh, long odds to get to the highest level, but always looking for the next opportunity, always trying to get somewhere else. And um, so you don't see too many broadcasters with a ton of longevity where you do see it the most is AAA in larger markets. Uh, you know, I can think of what, Howard Kelman in Indianapolis, um, Jim Weber in Toledo. There's probably a few guys who have been around with one team longer than Larry Ward, but not many and, and none at the AA level. And, you know, he's 74 years old and it's just cool to talk to a guy who still loves coming to the ballpark every day. Takes a lot of pride in the amount of people he has worked with through the years. Um, you know, not just within the team's front office and not among the fans, but, you know, all the visiting broadcasters. And uh, I got great feedback on the story on Twitter yesterday with younger broadcasters saying how helpful Larry Ward was to them through the years as they're, you know, starting out very new to double A or new to all of minor league baseball and to have a veteran presence like Larry Ward, who has taken the time to help them get set up, to help them be less nervous, because it's, it's a nerve-wracking thing to be on the air and to carry a broadcast for hours at a time, especially when you're 22, 23 years old and uh, don't have a ton of experience doing that. So Larry Ward, the uh, calm, steady veteran presence and a guy with an interesting backstory. I mean, grew up in eastern Oregon, um, you know, as he put it, sort of a cowboy, you know, on a ranch herding cattle bailing hay, cutting wheat, picking up rocks, fixing fences, um, you know, to go from that, uh, not going right into a broadcasting career after college, kind of finding his way into a local radio station, one thing leading to another, you know, calling rodeo, calling motocross, uh, tr- calling stock car racing, and, uh, you know, slowly building up a career. And, uh, you know, life's a funny thing. Who would have thought a guy growing up in Eastern Oregon, would one day be the longtime voice of the Chattanooga Lookouts, but you know that's the way it worked out. And uh, uh, anyone who is, you know, listen to the podcast or is aware of my work, you know, I'm often seeking out the veteran presences, the um, you know, the iconic or just really ballpark fixtures uh, where I go to a place where they can tell their story of a career in minor league baseball. So it was a pleasure to to be able to write a story about Larry Ward and uh, talk about a veteran broadcaster. Yeah, and if you get the choice at, or the chance at home uh, and you haven't checked out the story yet, I highly recommend it for everything Ben just laid out. But there's also a great video in here so you can hear Larry Ward in his iconic radio voice. It's about three minutes of a clip. Right. And his nickname, which I should have said already, is The Voice. I mean, that's <laughs> right. how he's Larry The Voice Ward. And, uh, you know, when you make a living with your voice and your nickname is The Voice, uh, it makes it pretty clear who you are and what you're about. Right. No, for sure. And uh, let's move on to your most recent trip, Ben, which was a very one, a very exciting one for me, even though I didn't get to go on it. I wasn't your designated year, but you did go back to my ancestral homeland, uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, to go see the Woo Sox at Polar Park, uh, a brand new stadium for 2021, a brand new team in, in some aspects. The Woo Sox moved from Pawtucket, um, where there was a ton of history. They're making new history in Worcester. Uh, so they're trying to formulate their own brand, but also link back to the history, not only of Worcester baseball, but AAA baseball in the Red Sox system. So many things going on at the same time with this move and with this first season. So when you got to experience it last week, which I think was three games over two days, because you were there for a double header, right. what stood out to you most about your Worcester experience? Yeah, I was there on Friday, August 13th, Saturday, August 14th, uh, fourth new ballpark I visited this year. And, uh, you know, following Rocket City, Kannapolis, and Fredericksburg. And I would say that uh, Polar Park in Worcester was the most distinct of those facilities and one of the more 
distinct new ballparks I've seen, you know, over the course of a la the last decade, just in terms of uh, the larger landscape where it is in downtown, the vantage points and views of the city within it, the train, uh, the freight train going uh, down, you know, past the uh, first base side, uh, left field side of the ball or third base side, yeah, left field. Field. I was gonna say. <laughs> third base side, left field side of the ballpark. Um, it is a really unique thing. The table talk uh, pie factory uh, just beyond on the first base side, beyond right field. Um, really unique architectural quirks. I mean, of course, they're the AAA ballpark of the, the AAA team of the Boston Red Sox. And as opposed to a green monster, they have a blue monster and it's in right field. And that's because this land, uh, you know, Worcester is a a pretty hilly town and the, the land that the ballpark was built on uh, was certainly not level. So in right field, they had to deal with a lot of hills and uh, uneven elevation and they made a retaining wall in right field and made it their blue monster. So on one hand, it's it very much brings to mind a Red Sox affiliate. You have a very distinctly colored huge tall fence and seats above it, which are really unique. But on the other hand, you know, it's a blue monster in right field. It's their own thing. And, and I think you see that throughout this, um, you know, it is filled with the history of the Boston Red Sox. And uh, you'll see statues of Ted Williams and all sorts of signage and art related to Boston Red Sox. Great, greats, all, all sorts of signs and arts and uh, throwbacks to, um, you know, when they were in Pawtucket for so many years but also trying to uh, very hard to establish their own sense of place in a brand new location. And, uh, you know, it would be a separate podcast and then some to talk about the twists and turns that led to Worcester, but this has been a period, uh, you know, to get this ballpark open was really the start of a saga that began in 2014 when new ownership bought the team immediately wanted to move it to Providence, Rhode Island, that fell through and there's a lot of twists and turns. So, um, and, and, and a lot of bad blood and bad feelings, uh, you know, certainly among, uh, you know, fans who love McCoy Stadium, the home of the Pawtucket Red Sox, the city of Pawtucket, that, you know, wanted to keep the team, at least they said they wanted to keep the team. I don't want to get into the city government right. politics and all that. Um, but there was a lot at play here uh, that, that that is a saga in and of itself. And when I go to a ballpark, I'm not saying I'm ignorant to those things, but I just want to evaluate it once I'm there saying like, this exists now. What is it? What is it like? And not get too bogged down in the backstory. And my first thought about going into Polar Park was um, more so than any other ballpark I visited this year. We're like, wow, this place is very much its own unique ballpark. Um, the corrugated steel, you know, exterior and on the inside too. There's kind of an industrial feel to the you know, architectural aesthetic. Uh, Janet Marie Smith, you know, was involved in the design. You know, who's a you know icon in baseball architecture, going back to Camden Yards and beforehand. Um, you know, some real heavy hitters uh, in the team's front office and uh, architecturally and, you know, really making sure that this is not cookie cutter and uh, it is not. And there's a 360 degree concourse, but as opposed to, for lack of a better way to put it, you know, a flat circle where you can just do a lap, um, you know, and Sam, you were there, you know, it, it, it's wide for a while, then it gets real narrow, mm -hmm. then you go up a flight of stairs, and then there's like a group area, and then the path verges up a little bit more, and then you're up high, and then it winds out and lowers, and there's all sorts of quirks and corners and caverns and crannies uh, throughout. So when you do a lap at this ballpark, uh, you're going up and down and have little, all sorts of little, not alleyways, but little side areas to explore, and it's not at all just a... Uh, doing a circle and seeing the same things in the same locations, which 
um, not to sound jaded, but can be the case with a lot of new ballparks where uh, it's hard to find things that are truly unique to that ballpark as opposed to following the template of a ballpark in this era. Right. And it, it kind of feels like its own city in that way. Right. Like it, it, everything's kind of tucked into certain ways. Like you're talking about alleyways are involved here. There's little things tucked around corners. Um, it feels like its own biosphere in, in, in many ways, which is tremendous, um, which kind of ties into what my next question was going to be, which is in terms of these stadiums, because you visited a couple new ones already this year. Uh, some of these new ones are built into the city, right? Like there's only a block that you can deal with that necessitates the big wall and right field, kind of like what we see in Hartford, for example. Um, Charlotte is another inner city park that uses, uh, you know, it, its surroundings really well and really opens up to the city. Do you have a preference on that? Like some, some of these parks, they are away from the city. There's much more open. There's much more space. So much easier to park, uh, which is obviously a concern for a lot of folks getting to the ball game. That's a huge deal. Uh, Worcester. It's kind of hodgepodge in parking where you can, wherever you can find it in downtown Worcester. But do you have a preference on that? Like if you were to start a stadium, would you try to smash it into a, a city block and, and make the most of that space? Or would you go somewhere where you can just spread it out nice and wide and, and build everything you want? Well, obviously advantages and disadvantages to both, but I would fall firmly on the side that, you know, wherever possible um, to be a true downtown ballpark, mm-hmm. um, you know, one, it can vary by situation, but one, to be more of an economic driver to the businesses around it and to also be symbolic to an extent of, you know, what the city is capable of supporting and to, um, you know, like in Kannapolis, kind of a real distinct um, structure that says this is who we are now, not who we are. You know, this is where way into the post-industrial era and we're redefining ourselves and what our downtown is and the restaurants and the hotels and the businesses and uh, you know all, all the companies that are part of that and that can tie into the ballpark experience. So I, I like that downtown ballparks have more of, of a story behind them it often seems and I also like just being at a ballpark and the vantage points and views and uh, feeling like you're very much in the ballpark. I mean you're right about parking. Um, you know there's a lot around Polar Park but hodgepodge is a perfect word to put it and that's the case in a lot of downtown ballparks there is not the room for just a standalone lot Uh, there's development going on around the ballpark I think there will be another parking garage but you have hassles with um, parking uh, with traffic in general with proximity to major roads that make it accessible to overcoming public sentiment a lot of the time Uh, people's perceptions of a particular city's downtown uh, being like, oh, I don't do that. I, I know Hartford got a lot of that. Like, yeah, I don't right. go to downtown. Why would I go there? But that's kind of the point. Like, for those of you who don't live in the city, who aren't tied into the city's ebb and flow and daily life, this is a reason for you to come there. Don't fall prey to your previous misconceptions of where where you would not go. Go see what the new uh, thing is, and uh, you know, hopefully, it's part of a, a larger reinvention. You know, it's a complicated topic because there's so many factors at play with uh, all sorts of things, you know, funding and the land use and, um, you know, being a, uh, you know, year-round facility and what other events you can hold and um, the surrounding area and larger development. Um, So, you know, it's something you kind of have to analyze on a case-by-case basis. But again, just going to a place and saying, hey, I'm here for a game. I want that to be downtown, uh, all things, all else, not necessarily being equal, but uh, in a vacuum, I suppose, uh, 
if I'm going to a game, if I'm covering a ballpark, yeah, let's be downtown. Let's get that energy. Uh, it's hard to feel the same energy when you look around and you see maybe, you know, some a suburban housing development or just, uh, you know, some open land or some coming soon real estate signs or whatever. It just doesn't have the same appeal. Yeah. And I'll also throw out there. I know I said parking can be difficult in downtown areas, but also if you put a ballpark in a downtown area, it encourages people to use public transportation. Right. And, and, and also the city to develop tr- public transportation to the ballpark. Public transportation. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, Sam, as you know, being a, 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 a native son, I mean, there's a, a train station. That's a very short walk union right. station, a very short walk from the ballpark. Um, you know, fans could get there from Boston. You know, you're a Red Sox fan and you live right around in Boston, right around. You could take the train uh, directly, essentially, to see your AAA affiliate. Uh, hopefully it does tie into, uh, you know, more public transit options. And also it speaks to the livability of a city where hopefully that residents who can walk to a game can go to a game. Uh, I know there's more development around the ballpark planned with um, you know, residential units and, you know, talking to people with the team, you know, they want that absolutely because every person who lives um, in one of those ballpark uh, adjacent apartments, it doesn't mean they're all going to be season ticket holders, but that's just that much more in the population that can walk to a game and are likely to frequent the ballpark. And, uh, you know, so it's all part of a longer term vision. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I, when I was there for opening day in Worcester, I talked to a few people who all said they walked there, um, which I thought was tremendous. That that meant so much more to me um, than people who are coming from all corners. I, I think being able to walk to a ballpark, uh, it's actually one of the saddest things now is, is thinking that you or I, Ben, could have walked to Ebbets Field. Yeah. If, uh, you know, the Dodgers were still in Brooklyn. Um, obviously, many reasons behind that, why that's no longer the case and et cetera, et cetera. But if you, if you live close enough to a ballpark and you can walk to it, I think you're a fan for life at that point. Yeah, huge, um, huge perk, huge yeah. perk. And Worcester, Sam, you knew this, but who knew as a non-New Englander, that's the second largest city in New England. It is. I, I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have thought Boston and then uh, what would, I wouldn't have thought Worcester. <laughs> Pro, I mean, like Providence, Providence Hartford, Hartford is up there. Bridgeport is actually the biggest city in Connecticut. Not a lot of people know that. Um, yeah. Not a huge, a lot of huge cities in, in Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont, but you got your Portland's, your Manchester's, but yeah, no, Worcester is, is a major place. I mean, it used to be like so many of these places we talked about a major textile area, um, another kind of offshoot of Boston, just things kind of pushed out, pushed out, but then with the train station there and it became what it likes to call itself, the heart of the Commonwealth, the heart of New England. Um, so many people had to go through there to get to other places that it became such a big place in itself. Uh, and a lot of, a lot of famous names have come through Worcester, both through baseball and uh, just people you might recognize at home. So Worcester has very much its own history, and I'm, I'm glad it's forming its own chapter now uh, with the Woo Sox. Uh, ben, why don't you take us now into our interview that we just actually wrapped up before this segment, but is coming after the segment in the podcast, uh, all about the food of Worcester. Yeah, well, following up on this uh, riveting discussion we're having about Polar Park, home of the Woo Sox, uh, we have just spoken with, and now you will hear an interview with Cody Malone, the team's vice president of hospitality. Um, I have crossed paths with Cody in my own ballpark travelers, ballpark travels, uh, with the Tulsa Drillers, more recently with the new ballpark uh, in Las Vegas, and uh, now he's come to Worcester. So always a pleasure to see him, and we just talked to him about Whoa, you're opening a ballpark. Got to plan the whole process. What does that take? 
And uh, specifically, what does that take when you're opening a new ballpark? Triple A Red Sox affiliate in Worcester, Mass. So he's here to talk. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's the show before the show podcast. I am Ben Hill. With me, pretty much as always, is Sam Dykstra sitting to my right. And right now we have a very special guest, Cody Malone, the Vice President of Hospitality for the Worcester Red Sox. And uh, I spent a lot of time with Cody just last weekend when I visited Polar Park, the home of the Woo Sox. And, uh, you know, had a lot of time, a really good time checking out the food, a lot of food, a lot of options. So I wanted to talk to him about, uh, you know, how you make a ballpark menu for a brand new facility. So Cody, thanks for being with us. Hey guys, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's always a, 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 a great responsibility and you know great pleasure to open a new ballpark this is my second opening in three years i opened up uh, las vegas ballpark the triple a for the a's in 2019 and then got the opportunity to open up uh, poor park this year and uh as we you know as we always say we we've got to ingratiate ourselves with the community you know they, the city always uh you know puts a lot, a lot of uh, a lot into a new ballpark you know they invest a lot and uh, so we got to make the ballpark kind of represent the city itself. So uh, opening here, uh, we were tasked with uh, the, the job of making Polar Park look, taste, feel, smell like Worcester. So that's, uh, that's always a fun part of, you know, getting to know the city, getting to know uh, the culinary offerings the city has to, to give and um, kind of making that representative in the, in the ballpark. Yeah. And you're a, an Oklahoma guy worked for the Tulsa drillers for a lot of years. You were in Vegas. Uh, your career is taking you all over the country. Um, so when you get to Worcester and you want to make the ballpark look, feel, smell like Worcester and the food's a big part of that. Um, you know, how did you go about doing that? And uh, what did you learn about the the food scene and what you wanted to incorporate uh, into Polar Park? Well, um, moving here and <clears throat> moved in October and I was really, really surprised how, um, how diverse the city of Worcester really is. I mean, anywhere from, you know, uh, Syrian, Lebanese, uh, Vietnamese, uh, all kinds of different Latin representations, um, lots of Greek. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really a diverse population here. So that, that kind of, it's kind of the fun thing we got to do here. So we got to go try a bunch of foods. We got to find some new partners. So as always, you're going to sell a lot of a few things in baseball, especially at minor league baseball stadium. You're going to sell a lot of hot dogs and, bottle of water, beer, soda, nachos, right? Pizza. But then you, you want to make sure that the, the ballpark has other things for everybody else. So we went and found some local partners. We partnered up with a Wonder Bar Pizza, which is probably a, a mile away. You know, uh, they've been in business 80 years or so. Um, they're a good representation of what pizza means to the city of Worcester. Uh, we got, we went and tasted a few different types of pizza, and uh, kind of settled on these guys uh, being the ones we wanted. You know, same with barbecue. Like I said, you know, off from Oklahoma, 
uh, we know barbecue in Oklahoma. We got to go out and taste barbecue uh, partners around town and around the region. And uh, the, the best barbecue I've had in years, uh, BT Smokehouse. That's a phenomenal product. Uh, definitely no crisis of craft there with those guys. Great, great smoke flavor. They make their own sauce. I mean, it's, it's, it's a handcraft barbecue. Um, and then uh, Coney Island, the hot dogs there. Literally, you can throw a throw a rock and hit them uh, from the ballpark. So, and there, and they have a great a great presence here. They're great people to work with. They've been in business since 19, 1918. It's a little over a hundred years. So they have a, a, a rich history in Worcester. Um, a big presence. People know them. People want to come here, and that's one of the things that we uh, wanted to make the ballpark uh, taste like. So. Yeah, you actually stole my next question there with that, that bit at the end of the about Coney Island dogs because uh, I think for people at home, they hear Coney Island, they probably are thinking the Brooklyn Cyclones in terms of minor league baseball. But Coney Island dogs are a huge deal for whatever reason in Worcester. They've, like you've said, they've lasted a century long. So like, how quickly did that come up in your research or did they, when you took the job, did they say, this has to be here? Yeah, so uh, probably my first interview with uh, Dr. Charles Steinberg was, Coney Island hot dogs will be in the ballpark. And there was no, uh, <clears throat> he said, just make it happen. So there, there was no, no thought of those guys. Should they, shouldn't they be, you know, they're literally like they're right across the street. So it was just a natural fit. Table talk pies is one of them too. They're, we share their next door. You, can, you know, we share a parking lot. So it's um, table talk pies are all over the ballpark and they need a big presence because they're a big presence in the city of Worcester. So. Yeah, and just take us through for people at home who don't know what they are. What what is a Coney Island dog? What makes it special? So Coney Island dogs, you know, it's a a smaller hot dog, but a Coney. But the, the big thing there is the sauce. You know, that they're chili, uh, and everybody wants it a certain way. But you know, if we want it all in, it's chili sauce, relish, mustard, onions, and people will eat four or five, six of them because they're a twelve to one hot dog. So they're they're not very big, but they're they're really really a good hot dog. So uh, everybody has their own flavor. Everybody grew up eating them so and everybody has a preferred way to eat them but you know you can get them right here in the ballpark yeah and um you know before opening polar park in worcester you opened uh las vegas ballpark um so there's a lot of experience i'm sure that can translate from opening one ballpark to another but these are very different locales very different aesthetics very different uh you know fan demographics um, you know, what were the similarities and differences between, you know, setting up the concessions and the whole food operation in Vegas versus versus, uh, versus Worcester? Well, I mean, uh, the, the one common denominator is, is minor league baseball fans. So, you, you know, you're going to have – you want to make sure you have a good hot dog. You, know, you have a cold beer. Make sure your, your sodas are, are, are good. You know, you want to make sure that those basics, the nachos, are got to be there, right? But then on top of that is, is when you start layering in – the local feel. So Vegas was a completely different animal. We had celebrity chefs, Giada, Susan Finnegar. We did um, celebrity chef nights. We had a Brian Howard programmer, especially hot dogs. So that was kind of a, the flair of Vegas, right? That kind of matched what Vegas is. Coming here, um, and this is kind of remi- Worcester kind of reminds me of Tulsa because it's a second, what I call a second city, right? So Tulsa is a second city to to Oklahoma City, and then Worcester is the second city to to Boston. So what you, what you don't have is major league sports. You don't have the the big time feel. So the second second city 
basically a chip on your shoulder, what do you do? You kind of look inwards. So what, what do you do as a second city? What do you do well? They, they always look at uh, chefs, you know, local chefs, local music, local food, local produce. And that's kind of what does our city do well? Because we're never going to have the Boston Bruins or the Red Sox, but we have the Woo Sox. And we have some great local chefs and some great local restaurants and great local produce from Central Mass. So that's kind of what we wanted to have program this ballpark is what does Worcester do well? It's pizza. It's Coney Island. It's, you know, we have some great barbecue. We got hyper local beers. You know, we have some great local beer partners with Wormtown Brewery and Greater Good, Wachusett. You know, so some of these beers, you know, you can almost see Wormtown Brewery from the rooftop of the ballpark. So, and that's what we wanted to make sure, you know, that's, we wanted to make sure that down to, down to the, you know, the poor water polar beverage company has been around Worcester for 150 years. Then we make sure that we, like I said, even like taste like Worcester. So that's we're drinking the polar waters, we, you know, the polar beverages. Make sure that uh, that's well represented. Yeah, and we've, we've talked a lot about getting the basics right. Like you said, the, the one thing you always want to be right, no matter where you are, Vegas, Tulsa, Worcester, is getting the nachos, getting the hot dogs, getting the pizza down. But what do you, what dish that's maybe a little bit out there are you most proud of? First from Worcester, from what you're doing now, but also just from your entire minor league tenure. Well, I've worked in, I think, 19 minor league ballparks in some form or fashion over the last 10 years, uh, either a regional or on support or just operating a ballpark. Um, here, I'm really proud of what we've done. And honestly, there's a lot more to come here. We haven't even finished construction here yet. We still have a container park to come online in the next few weeks and stuff coming on next year. Um, here, technology is big. So we have our fully frictionless checkout uh, grab-and-go market. That's Right now, it's a self-checkout market, but it's coming on as a, in October as a fully frictionless checkout with your app and has a standard cognition technology and like 90 cameras in the ceilings that watch you come in. If you have the app, you can grab what you want and walk right out of the market. So it's a pretty cool deal. You know, one of the, the – the, Larry Lucchino wanted us to be first and foremost on, on the leading edge of technology here at the ballpark. So that's a really neat deal there. <clears throat> I'm really proud of how we program this ballpark with our, our local restaurant partners um, just to get them in the, get them here and, 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 and make this place, like I said, taste like Worcester. But we are opening up a, uh, a con- container park that will have a, we call a taste of Worcester food container, which we will rotate uh, local partners through every homestand. So it could be one homestand could be Dominican food. Next homestand could be West African food. Next homestand could be, you know, Syrian, you know, Lebanese. So it, it's going to be ever-changing, ever-evolving, because you got to think over 70 games, season ticket holders want something new besides a nacho helmet or a, a hot dog and a soda. So we've got to give them a little bit of variety, uh, homestand to homestand. So this will give us, A, a good chance to bring the community into Polar Park and then and that had a benefit to, um, to our season ticket holders and to our, our ticket buyers, our guests. And as far as, you know, most proud of them, you know, like all these ballparks I worked in, they're all like different children. So you've kind of got a favorite from, from them all. Right. So in Tulsa, we did a great job with our own barbecue. We had a, a 16 foot uh, trailer smoker. We would put out 400 pounds of barbecue a day, some days, um, you know, and uh, Vegas was, his name was Flair. So, you know, we did a great che- uh, guest chef series with uh, strip chefs and regional and, and even national celebrity chefs. Um, so that was a lot of fun to, you know, they're all kind of different, you know, different dynamics. But uh, they're all 
no matter what, to me, it always boils down to the guests. So I still get text messages from guests, you know, season ticket holders in Tulsa that wish me a Merry Christmas or a happy birthday or, you know, people don't, didn't know I'd left Vegas. I got a phone call the other day saying they're, they're out of uh, their favorite beer in the bar section 114. And I was like, well, sorry, Ann, I don't want to work there anymore, <laughs> but uh, I'll call somebody and get you, uh, get you your beer stock. So, you know, honestly, that's probably why I've stayed in this business for 10 years is, uh, I really enjoy getting to know the season ticket holders and, and getting to know the people that come to the minor league stadium uh, day in and day out. All right, Cody, we'll, we'll finish up on, on this one. Um, just one last one for me anyway, in terms of when people first get to polar park, uh, you know, there, some people are going to be get, getting there for the first time. Um, it's a new park. People are just visiting it. What do you recommend is the first place they head to? Like the line's going to be super long. You're going to want to get there early. You're going to want to get there as quickly as you can to beat the lines and make sure you would get to this one spot in the park. Well, I mean, also the first thing I would say is to walk around the ballpark because A, it's gorgeous. Um, and B, I think there's a lot of offerings because we have a, a kosher stand, which is first for me. You know, we have the grab and some grab and go kosher stuff for day in and day out. Um, you know, I think that one thing you want to hang your hat on, and always me, I've been in this business 27 years, our beer selection is, to me is great. Uh, I've never had a diverse and local beer selection like we had here before. So if you go to our craft corner in the right field corner, we have 10 taps that are all local. And I probably have another, I would say, 45 SKUs of, of local and import beers, craft beers. So I think that's, to me, as a beer drinker, that'd be the place to come. You know, we do do your walk around, uh, grab a good local beer at Wormtown or a Greater Good, and then um, kind of see what you want to eat from there. And Cody, one last thing I wanted to touch on um, is that in preparing for the first season at Polar Park in 2021, uh, obviously the planning started way before that. You know, in the midst of a pandemic, and um, you know, how does that affect the planning? And then, as well as heading into the season you know, supply issues, staffing, you know, what are some of the unique challenges you faced uh, due to the very unique circumstances, you know, facing the team in America this year and the world? Yeah, I, I would I'd say this was, this was a very, you know, every new opening has its challenges, but this one was a, opening a, a new ballpark uh, under construction in a pandemic short staffed, right? So there's all those things we would write a menu and then find out we can't get that product. So you got to be a little bit flexible. Like, you know, like technology, you know, digital menu boards, you can change your menu in the middle of a game if you have to. Um, but like programming it was, I think we were, we kind of, as most people have gone kind of back to basics this year, because something you know you can get, you know you can get a hot dog. You know you're going to get, you know, chips and cheese. So you kind of make sure you have your the, the, the basics right. And then you don't try to go too crazy this year because you never know what's going to happen day to day on supply chain issues. You know, we've came close to running out of nacho helmets five times. But, uh, you know, one day we had some overnighted in the belly of a Southwest Airlines uh, plane. They had to go to Boston Logan and pick up 10 cases off the, the carousel, you know. So it's every every week's a new challenge for us. Um, but programming this building was, a uh, you know, the, the challenges were probably the same ones everybody went through this year because not having a season last year, you kind of had to start fresh. Um, as always, staffing has been our biggest issue this year. So you kind of almost need to write a menu to a, a lower common denominator than you would anywhere else because you don't know who you're going to hire and, and how how great of a culinary they're going to be to make some big, you know, crazy hamburgers or crazy hot dogs or whatever. So we, we kind of kept it simple. 
and done a few things well, done our basics well, and do a few things, the signature items really well was what kind of our, our thought was on this one. And then to, to partner with a great local restaurants and let them do what they do well. I'm not going to tell Coney Island how to do their hot dogs. They've been doing it for over 100 years. So, you know, that's one Kathy from Coney Island. I was like, just do what you do, but just do it here. You know, I don't want you to do anything different. Don't go out and try to make a crazy hot dog, make Coney Island hot dogs, but make them here. That's all you got to do. Same with the BT Smokehouse. Just keep making great barbecue, but just sell it to our guests here. So. Yeah, well, despite the challenges, um, you know, I really enjoyed Polar Park and the food is a huge part of that. Sam Dykstra. I highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah, he I, recommends I it. Time. I mean, native of Palmer, Massachusetts, so he's biased. Right. But um, yeah, if, if anyone listening can get uh, can get out there uh, over the next month, six weeks to uh, check out a game, uh, highly recommended. A lot of food to check out. And uh, Cody Malone's a big reason for that. So, Cody, thanks for visiting us uh, on the show before the show podcast. It's Cody Malone, Director of Hospitality for the Woo Sox, the Worcester Red Sox. Thanks for being here. Hi, guys. Appreciate it. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One of them made memories, the others made you a monkey. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Eau Claire Fawns. B. The Yakutat Pups. C. The Elgin Kittens. As all you Hepcats know, the correct answer is C, the Algin Kittens. <coughs> Named for manager Malachi Mal Jedediah Kittridge, the Kittens of Elgin, Illinois finished first in a league that finished first too. The Northern Association was done barely three months after it got started. But for a short while in 1910, Elgin was the cat's meow in an eight-club circuit. <laughs> if only the fans had known. In mid-July, Elgin and the Kankakee K's bowed out because of what the press described as a lack of interest. And the departure of the Kittens and the K's spelled K-O for the N-A. With no rooters in the stands, Kittridge's Kittens may have owed the success they had on the field to their namesake. He'd come to the Illinois club after helming two different teams to titles in the New York State League in 1908 and 1909, and he had a 16-year career as catcher in the National and American Leagues dating back to his rookie campaign with Cap Anson Chicago Colts in 1890. Managing Elgin as a wizened man of 40, old Mal was still cat-like enough to don the tools of ignorance and stick his tail behind the plate until the Northern Association used up its nine lives in short order. Following the circuit's breakup in the summer of 10, Kittredge was hired as a scout by the Tigers, but by that September he'd bought a piece of the Saginaw Wawas of the Southern Michigan League for $3,500, and he managed and sometimes caught for them too at age 41 in 1911, when they came to be known as the Crazy Cats. 
Thus, although Saginaw finished fourth, it was the perfect next stop after the Elgin Kittens for Malachi Kittridge. <laughs> now, on to the question for next time. Which of these clubs made names for themselves in the minor leagues of yore? A. The Scottsdale Scotties. B. The Fredericksburg Freddies. C. The Augusta Auggies. Want to know the answer? Find an older fan and get on a first-name basis. Or tune into the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill has forgotten his belt, and his pants are suspended in disbelief. Well, a big thanks to you guys for doing the uh, heavy lifting on this week's episode of the show before the show. It was it was a fun episode, mostly yes. no, because I mean, you guys did brought, great work. You brought a uh, special guest. Which that is true. Have. That is that true. Is some heavy lifting. Uh, you know, I do my best, um, which is good because tomorrow, based on the hikes we took today, I don't know if I'll be able to get out of bed at all. So, um, <laughs> now we move on to our final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show, which is where we tell you what we are watching this week on MILB.TV. Um, that's where you catch all the top talent of minor league baseball for the final month and a half, really ish now of the minor league season. Sam, what are you keeping an eye on? Yeah. I don't know if it's just cause I have Red Sox on the brain after talking about Worcester, uh, for the previous two segments before this, I'm not going to mention the Worcester Red Sox. Uh, series this weekend though you can certainly tune into that but what I will re- recommend is Salem at Lynchburg and specifically because of two Red Sox prospects both of which were taken in the 2020 draft actually they were the top two picks by the Sox last year Nick York which who I think was a big surprise pick by the Sox at 17th overall um, not many people had him in the first round at all uh, the Red Sox were pretty adamant that they thought he could have played his way there if not for the the pandemic that kind of stopped his high school season short, like it did for so many. Um, so they, they stuck by that pick and it, it's been look, working out pretty well for him uh, in 2021. He's got a 318 batting average, 409 on base uh, percentage, and he's slugging 482, eight homers in 73 games, very much hit over power for him. But what the Sox were saying the whole time is this guy can really hit from the right side. We're not that worried that he's only going to be second base. We're not that worried that he, maybe an average power guy with low average run tool. He's going to really, really hit, and he's proving that correct so far. He also is just getting joined in that Salem lineup uh, by Blaze Jordan, who was their third-round pick last year, but their second pick because they didn't have a second-round selection in 2020. He's still only 18, but he has some of the best power in this entire system right there. Former uh, high school home run derby winner. Yes. Blaze Jordan. Yes, he, he showed up. So much power on the, all the showcase circuits um, was basically a legend in his own right in terms of that power. Kind of uh, ironic was, for the name Blaze. He should be fast instead of like all power. What, what would like be pop good, Jordan? Yeah, blast pop, Jordan. Blast Jordan is a good one, actually. Yeah, yeah. If we ever get yeah. him on the show, we're gonna. Did <laughs> you ever try to work picture? on? Did you ever try to work on the speed tool? Your first name is Blaze. You ever, you ever think like, all right, I gotta add this. I gotta swipe bags now. <laughs> your your whole profile is wrong for us um but anyways blaze jordan just joined the salem red sox he had been in the florida complex league uh and had torn that up in in 19 games a little bit of the delay getting him to salem uh, but he did have four homers in 19 games there slugged 667 over 69 at bats pretty nice uh, slugging percentage there for him uh now those guys are joining forces 
with the Salem Red Sox. You'll be able to watch those games this weekend as they travel to Lynchburg. Uh, so definitely check that out. If you are a fan of Red Sox prospects or trying to see, uh, you know, it's a pretty good offense at the lower level. Highly recommend that series. Tyler, I feel like you have the actual like big time lineup to watch though. Well, we just kind of mentioned quickly in our rundown of the top 10 that the top two prospects in the Detroit Tigers organization are now both members of the AAA Toledo Mudhens roster. And that's Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. They went up there together early this week. Um, and those two guys, their numbers, um, so, so good. Spencer Torgerson now at his third different level. He started the season in high A with West Michigan, uh, where he over 31 games slashed 312, 445, 69. Then he goes up to double A uh, and in 50 games with Erie, 263, 373, 560. So the production, um, very similar. Now gets a chance at AAA um, with the Mud Hens, uh, the first round selection, first overall selection last year uh, for the Tigers. And he goes up with, Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, 21 years old. Riley Green, 20 years old. He was the fifth overall pick back in 2019. Um, and Riley Green, like Spencer Torkelson, comes to uh, Toledo from Erie, where he spent uh, the entirety of the season up until this promotion. And his numbers, uh, comparable, even better in certain uh, in certain categories, 298, 381, 525, and 84 games. Um, so both of those guys now are members of that Toledo lineup. And Toledo is home this weekend taking on Indianapolis uh, so you can get a chance to uh, check out the mud hens as they bring in the top two talents in the Detroit Tigers organization and uh, a very fun squad that now is in AAA East. So that's yeah, it. No, very, very, I, and I just love that they bring them up together. Yeah. Very cool. I, mean, I always that, love when, when teams do that. Yeah. And this is a thing that's gone back a year now, like when those guys were working together through instructs and alternate yeah. sites um, I think Instructs actually ended with a Riley Green versus Spencer Torkelson home run derby. I mean, they they know what they're doing with these guys and, and getting them to push each other. And they yeah. are not entirely similar players, but they're not entirely dissimilar either because they're playing with a lot of pressure. And, and it's somewhat similar to what the Tigers did with all those pitching prospects as they were climbing exactly. up. You know, we saw um, Derek Skubal and Casey Mize and the guys who were climbing through the ranks and, and kind of jumping levels together or being in the rotations at certain levels at the same time and how they would kind of try to push each other and, uh, you know, continue having those conversations about like, all right, what do we need to do to, to make this next move? Um, Tigers are building something fun, man. That's uh, that's a franchise that we've had our eyes on for a long time. And um, yeah, that'll be a, a fun group to watch in Toledo. So um, that will do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. And get, you can get in touch podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter at Sam Dykes or MILB. And I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, for Sam, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week. 